You are now, 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 listening to an interview series by Mutech and Eastern Bloc. For what is now a second year in a row, I'm having the pleasure to welcome you to an interview series produced as part of a collaboration between Mutech and Eastern Bloc for this 24th edition of the festival in 2023. My name is Malta Leander, and today I'm sitting down with Abdul Latif, a multidisciplinary artist that is a jack of all trades, creating around what he calls cycle punk, taking the shape of comic books, video game, as well as musical live performances in various settings and scales. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So the live performance that you're presenting at this year's edition of Mutech is built through a reimagined, upcycled, and reconstructed parts of bicycles. Um, can you go into detail a bit more, perhaps, about what it is that we can expect to witness on stage and, and listen to? Mm. Yes, for sure. So um, my persona of Abdul Latif is uh, based on a character from our video game called Distraction Machine. And this character is a distractor. So, you know, in, in, it's, it's set in a zombie apocalypse where um, basically everyone has a role. You have, you know, you have the, the, the berserker, you'll have the bladesmith, you'll have, you know, the, the archer. And the distractor's job is to create noise and distract the undead. We call them feeders in the world of, of our zombie apocalypse. So they're the person that kind of like, you know, the Pied Piper of the undead. They draw the undead to like traps or they'll gather them up, froth them up and, and unleash them on enemies. But also within their community, they serve as, like, as a communal bard. So like, you know, they'll play music for like, you know, for unions, for, for, uh, for passing ceremonies. Um, they'll tell stories through music and, 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 and poetry. So they're kind of this person that brings the whole community together through music. So for the show, I'm basically uh, playing music on cycle punk instruments, instruments made out of bikes. Uh, and we're gonna have some visuals from the video game um, that ties it all in. So you are the, the distractor for the audience. Um, and as you said, this, the distraction machine itself is not, not only a live performance, but exists in a lot of, of different, different worlds and mediums. Uh, the video game where the user or, or player can compose and, and build their own music through loops and samples of, of original instruments in a sort of uh, music sequencer. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about how the video game works? Yes. So um, first off, the, the whole universe is based on a comic book series called Zile. It's set seven years after a zombie apocalypse on a, a fictional Montreal called Island City. So we started this comic book in 2014. We're on issue six. Issue seven is so late, but hey, I had a music show and a video game to make. Um, <laughs> so the video game is actually uh, during the Seven Year War. So it's a prequel to the comic. Because if you're doing multimedia, there's no point in repeating the same media across different platforms. It's it doesn't make isn't doesn't bring anything rich to the story. So in the game, you are taking place of the distractor. What happens is in the beginning of the game, the distractor saves your life and then disappears. So you are uh, a person within the community they used to be a part of, and you become their new distractor. And you learn how to use their music box. So basically in the game, there'll be a music box. You fill it with instruments full, uh, that are made out of bikes and upcycled materials. You connect them with gears and chains in order for everything to work. And then each instrument has its own sheet of music 
that has its own loop library. So the goal for us is that no matter what your musical proficiency is, you should be able to make music easily and fun with all these different types of loops. So in the story of the game, characters come to you with music requests to help them on their missions. Like, hey, we gotta build this wall before the undead comes in. You wanna make a track for our crew to kinda get in sync? And they'll give you criteria like, okay, I want a four on the floor beat. I want this type of instrument. I don't want this type of instrument. And depending on how well you fulfill the criteria, you can either help or harm your community. So if you make the track properly, they build a wall, everyone's safe. If you disregard their, their, their criteria and make whatever track you want and play it, they don't build the wall properly. The undead come in, people die, it's your fault. So you have that aspect of the game. And then, as we discussed, there's a sequencer side. There's conductor mode where you can use the game strictly as a music sequencer. And that's what I'll be doing at the uh, at, at Mutech. I'll be playing the game, uh, or playing the show using the game as a music sequencer. I, I, I really like that using using your your compositional or musical skills as the as the player of the game to sort of change the narrative. Um, and yeah, using the actual software as part of the live performance is is also to me quite innovative. Of of having built it as a video game experience, but now using it in a live music, live performance setting. I'm curious to hear where the idea of creating a music tool come from, because those are still two different worlds, a, a music, a digital audio workstation, music composition software, and video games is not always interlinked or the overlaps are kind of rare, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, our designer, our game designer, Nikki, uh, really wanted to um, didn't want to go in, she, she tried to avoid as much as possible creating a DAW, you know? Um, I was pushing more for a DAW, she was kind of pushing against the idea, because, you know, the more limitations you have, the more creativity you have at your fingertips. So, um, but the idea, I'm not quite sure how it came about. I mean, the idea, it, it's funny, the idea for this game was due to capitalism, uh, <laughs> and then like, it's like, I need money, and I found out about this contest to make a, like, a, a grid-based kind of puzzle-type game. So that's where the music box comes in, where oh. you have all these chains and stuff to make the, the blocks. Yeah, I mean, that, right? that makes sense with the sequencer, the way yeah, it's... Exactly. Uh, and, and you know, there's, the, there's an, an old game called The Incredible Machine, which is based on a Rube, uh, Rube Goldberg device, which is basically do a simple thing, but have a complex way to do it. So if like, let's say if I want to wipe my, my face with the tissue, he has this whole kind of like contraption where like with balls and like, you know, little animals like going into a box and things flipping up so that the napkin on an arm will come and dot his face. So this whole video game idea, which is like based in the 80s, a PC game, was kind of a huge inspiration for that. Um, but then it just kind of all came together. It's like, hey, I want to create this thing where you, you're creating music and why not have it so that people can just enjoy making music with it. Mm -hmm. This this world, the desire world, is where where both the comic books are taking place, the video game, and, and the live performance obviously has has links to this world. Um, you mentioned that it is a sort of an apocalyptic version of of Montreal, or at least based off of Montreal. Can you talk a bit more about the the world, perhaps, or the linkages to? to Montreal. For sure. So uh, one of my oldest friends, Dan Buller, he's like one of the best illustrators I've known. Uh, we've been trying to collaborate for like 20 years and uh, we've always loved the zombie genre. And we said, let's come up, let's create our own zombie story, you know? And we thought, whatever happened to the serial comic? You know, like back in the day, you'd have like a four page comic in, in back of a magazine. And we said, there's never been a horror type. So we said, let's start building that up. And then it ended up being a page that it turned to a comic book. 
And then at, at one point, uh, Dan had to step back, and at, that my, at the time, my partner came in, and she got involved, and now she is the co-writer and art director of the, of the entire project. Uh, her name is Isabel Duguay, and she's a muralist. That's her main job, as a muralist. But she, uh, she uh, built this world with me. And, and funnily enough, fun, funnily enough uh, Dan uh, has come back to the project as illustrator on the game with us. So um, we're, we're both the, the, the illustrators on this game with another friend of ours, Pascal Foisy. So, um, but the idea was just like, hey, we love the zombie genre. Let's do our own take on it. And most zombie stories are in the States. There aren't very many cool stories based in Montreal. And also Montreal is not a big gun city. Every zombie story has guns, but we have bikes. So we figured let's let's base it on bike culture and let's let's create weapons and tools and 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 thought processes and like just a culture around bikes and also kind of looking at like hey zombies are like the the sign that we screwed up we need to start over again let's start over in a better way so having a bike centric uh, universe was kind of a way of saying hey this is how we need to restart the world um, so that's how that came about uh, and this, the funny thing is uh, the the, the the instrument that everything is based on is called a bike harp, a lithelium bike harp. I'll give you the spelling later. But um, I made this instrument like almost 30 years ago and I kind of forgot about it. And then when I started working on this project, I'm like, in my mind, whenever whatever project I do, I want to have a soundtrack to it. So I'm like, okay, let me just make music. I'm like, the lithelium is the instrument of this universe. And so I started making more instruments and getting some funding and, and, and then it just kind of started growing from there. I mean, that's... It's it's fun to hear the linkages because I mean obviously the 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 centric or the bike centric part of this project like obviously piques a curiosity too. I was wondering if yeah if you're you had a background of of biking being around biking culture, but that's that's interesting to hear how yeah how this combination of an old instrument join in with like that Montreal is a bike a bike friendly city yeah. Um, and I mean, at this point, you've built a, a quite the considerable amount of, of instruments. I mean, starting then a, a few decades ago with this one lithelium lith <laughs> bike heart. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that has grown to be quite the collection. Can you talk a bit perhaps about your approach to the designs or the, the function of the instruments and, and how they take place and part as part of the musical performances that you do. Mm. So like the, the Lothelium has gone through a lot of iterations. Right now there are about, I have about eight of them, um, eight different types, or, or there's a couple of them that are similar, but just getting in, just like, you know, putting it out there, like I'm playing it, you know, getting feedback from friends, oh, you should try this, you should add that, you should add this, and it's kind of evolved into something that, that actually is functional and sounds great. Um, it's still a work in progress, but I mean, I've sold three so far. Um, one of them I sold to actually Ramachandra Borkar, uh, used to go by the name of DJ Ram back in the day. And he is a multi-instrumentalist uh, producer. He has hundreds of TV, film and documentary credits, a couple of video game credits. And he bought one and he used it in one of his documentaries. So I'm like super humbled by that. Um, and I'm, I'm more excited to, to, to manufacture more and sell them. But um, it's just like, I don't have any background in engineering. I grew up with Transformers and Lego. I learned how to do open surgery on, on cassettes. You know, I used to take, you know, those click pens and turn them into little, little catapults in class. So I've always been like, you know, tinkering with things, you know, since a kid. So for me, it, it just comes natural to kind of, oh, let me put this and this together and see what happens. So the process is just like, you know, just trial and error, figuring things out. 
um, you know, have the bicarb. I came up with the cooler drum because if you take a, a, a bottle from a water cooler, it has a great sound. So I was like, how can I use this to make it functional as an instrument? Uh, I came up with something else called a rim drum where I used a bike rim and it kind of turned it into an urban tabla. So just kind of discovering, you know, I'm always making beats on tables. I've been beatboxing since I was a kid. So music has always been there. And, and this, this, these instruments have given me the opportunity to kind of like put this music into objects, you know, and then bring it back. So kind of creating this infinite uh, feedback response system of creation. I don't know. <laughs> That's great. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure that, the, I mean, there are a lot of sound enthusiasts uh, listening to this and enjoying the Mutech Festival. The harp itself is sort of built from, from an upcycled bike wheel, yeah, right? Exactly. You're hitting different parts that, re that resonate, or are you like bowing and striking parts of it too? Or how, do, how does how's the mechanic work? I'm just curious to, yeah. to learn the, the path of the sound from well, the, these. Yeah, well, I mean, there are a couple of different versions of the of, of the lithelium, but primarily they all have bike strings, uh, bike strings, sorry, uh, guitar strings uh, with tuners. So I kind of either tune it like to a proper scale or I tune it to however I want. Generally, I just kind of play around with the tuning until I found something that sounds cool. And it's interesting because I discovered music that I would never consciously create, you know? Like, I'm like, oh, where did this come from? I have no idea, I just made this up. Um, and, and so that's the beauty of that. Like I, it's almost every time I play it, I find something new. I learn something new with it. So it's basically you have a bike rim. It has uh, guitar strings and tuners, and uh, some of them have resonators. Some of them have pickup mics. I made one with a, a bunch of guitar pickups, uh, but that one was like I have to go back to the drawing board with that one. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's a great it's sound. Part of the prototype. It is. It's part of the process. You know, like just like continually evolving the, the design. But uh, basically that, you know, and I'll hit them with, I usually use like sticks to hit the strings. Sometimes I'll pluck them with my fingers or I'll play with bows. And of course, all of them have, it's interesting because it has a unique sound, yet it's very similar to a lot of different sounds. Like people say, oh, it sounds like a dulcimer. Oh, it sounds like a, it sounds like that pan instrument there. I forget what it's called. Um, it sounds like a steel pan. So it, it, it has a, a relation and connection to all these instruments that people are familiar with, yet it has a unique sound and it's played differently from all these other instruments. And so then your designs, they expand away from the instruments too and you're also crafting outfits. I mean, obviously you're designing yeah. worlds mm -hmm. as well, but outfits are also part of the performance and I mean that blend with the aesthetics of the instruments. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about about that part, perhaps? Of For sure, yeah. I mean, what's fun about that is that that stems from cosplay, and you know, cosplay is a huge thing in, in comics uh, and video games as well. Uh, and the fun thing about our cosplay, it's it's all based on like real stuff. So when you see an average cosplayer cosplaying a character from a film or something, it, it's obviously like quote unquote fake. You look at it, it's like okay, like it's not metal. Whereas we're using bikes and bike parts and upcycled instruments and, all, and upcycled parts and things to actually create our costumes. So our, our cosplay really stands out. Um, and so, um, it, you know, it comes into the performance where my character is wearing a, a more of a ceremonial outfit or a battle outfit that's all based on bike parts. Um, I, we did this um, music game festival called Super Magfest back in January, and I built a, a, the traveling bard suit. Because um, in my mind, I'm like, well, obviously, if people are going to be in a video game music like event, they're gonna walk around with like mobile, like, you know, suits of music. No, it was just me doing that. <laughs> but like I had these two uh, speakers mounted on my shoulders, on my back, and I had one of my bike harps and I had like a mixer and, uh, and um, 
a mixer and a little power um, supply, and I was just walking around playing, you know? Um, something I'm hoping to do during, do, during UTech after my show, I might walk around Place Cesar with, with the bard suit. Um, so yeah, it's all, it's all basically just taking stuff and, and repurposing it for music. Amazing. I, I love that, of thinking about the musical performance and the cosplay cultures merging, mm. of sort of the showcase in the public space and, and whatnot. Um, and all, all of what we've talked about today that also um, relates to the studios, Miscellaneum Studios, which you are the founder of um, a transmedia studio that has been around for, for the past 10 years or so. Uh, as mentioned, publishing both a comic book series, video games, and can you talk about how this context like relates to the the performances and how how this all comes together? I guess through through the studios, I, I'm guessing being sort of a, a main point for being able to create uh, with and around all of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, I was a freelance artist for the longest time, and then um, and I always wanted to create tell stories. Um, and growing up watching film and TV and, and, and video games or what have you, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm always, where am I in this story? Who, how am I represented? And all, every time I'm always disappointed. Oh, I'm the drug dealer. Oh, I'm the pimp. Oh, I'm the thug. Oh, I'm the sidekick that asks all the stupid questions. Or I'm the guy who gets killed. So for me, it's like, you know, if I'm gonna create a, if I'm gonna create a world, I wanna create a world where like, um, you know, I'm representing a wide spectrum of blackness. Um, and when I saw Ghostbusters for the first time as a kid, and when Winston Zedmore joined the crew, he wasn't like, y'all wanna be a Ghostbuster, what's up? Y'all wanna get in here? Which is fine, we are that as black people, but we're so much more. You know, we're always in these, these, these silos of, of, this, of these tropes. So for me, it's like, okay, I wanna create stories and I wanna be able to have them centered uh, on BIPOC. Uh, but also beyond that, through marginalized characters and people and stories because, um, the representation is just really poorly done. And if we're not telling our own stories, someone else is going to tell them and not tell them properly. So for me, it was about building a, a studio where, okay, we're centering stories on, on BIPOC and marginalized groups and communities. Um, and great, okay, so how are we telling stories? And, you know, I kind of, I never really planned on doing a comic book series, but then that happened. And, and then video and now games. Now you're in edition six? Six, yeah. issue six. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, like, I didn't really intend on going into video games. I was actually planning to be a filmmaker. And then, discovering, wait, Montreal's a very big video game city, there's a lot of opportunity. Uh, and video games is an excellent way to tell stories. So, I veered into video games from there. So, just having this company uh, for me is just important, just being there, you know, like seeing if people see themselves represented in the media they consume, they feel welcome, they feel there's a place for them. So, uh, I, you know, I work on, on trying to advocate for more spaces for, for, for BIPOC and marginalized groups to work in industries, uh, you know, whether it's sitting on, on councils, uh, advisory boards or what have you, and advocating for those, those groups. So just being out there is, is so important, you know, like I'm at Comic-Con, I'm seeing some black families come by and say, hey, what's up? I'm doing the thing that you want us to do. Come and see our stuff, you know. So it's, it's a huge part of everything for me. And but you're not you're not uh, doing this by yourself. I mean, <laughs> this this is a, a larger team yeah. or a community and group that has been built around the studios as well. Yeah, for sure. Like every part of the project has its own team. Like for a video game, you know, we have we have a diverse team. And also, you know, I say this a lot, but like diversity happens on both sides of the screen. 
You know, I remember Matt Damon saying something. There was this show called Studio or something where they were interviewing. Um, they were like looking at uh, movies to see who they would su- support film-wise. And he was working with a black producer, and he was saying, "You say like Matt Damon was like, oh no, no, diversity happens, you know, behind the camera, not on camera." I'm like, "Really, Matt Damon?" So yeah, word, yeah, like bad. Anyways, point is, is that like diversity has to happen on both sides of the screen. So it's not just having BIPOC characters in your world. You need to have a team that's diverse because you have diverse perspectives. Uh, you also have people catching you on stuff that you don't see, like. As a black person, I, re- I recognize my oppression, but I also recognize my privilege, especially as a black cishet male. So I can't necessarily understand or, or, or easily see how someone else is necessarily oppressed or what their struggles are. So I can have a best guess, but at some point I'm going to have to talk to someone from that community and get their perspective to make sure that if I am representing that character in our stories and we're touching on those subjects that were accurate and we're, and we're, we're respectful. So it's, it's not just about putting out stories and creating worlds, it's, make, it's making sure that we have accurate representation and respectful representation. Um, just making sure that like, we're reflecting the world around us, you know? Um, you can't, you don't, salad is just lettuce. <laughs> you gotta have a lot of other stuff in there to make it interesting, you know? So, yeah. No, de- definitely. And I mean, the thematics or the content that you're putting out is to me also just taking a lot of innovative boxes of music software and performance, um, a version of, of Montreal that I haven't encountered and in these different shapes definitely creates for interesting and engaging material for, for audiences and communities alike. Um, So thank you, uh, Latif, for sitting down and shining light upon Miscellaneum Studios, uh, the Xyle world, the Distraction Machine, and I'm looking forward to seeing your performance as part of the New Tech Festival. Awesome. Thank you so much. Looking forward to playing. 